morning. Genesis, the 16th chapter. I want to thank church family for their prayers, their care, and their love shown to our family over the past couple of days and weeks. I don't know if you said this, we often say this, um, what would we do without Jesus? And honestly, the church, the body of Christ, is the physical extension of Jesus' care and love. And you have been that to us, and we're blessed to be a part of a church family that loves us well. I love God's Word and how God uses His Word at just the right time to accomplish so many things. And our text this morning um, was such an encouragement to me to consider this week, and I hope and pray, it's been my prayer this week, that it is an encouragement to you as we look at Genesis chapter 16 this morning, that it will encourage your faith, that it will, will lift your spirits, lift your soul if it needed done. Up until this point in Genesis, it has been mainly revolving around big characters. Think about it. Revolving around Adam, revolving around Cain and Abel in that story, revolving around Noah. Now we're in the life of Abram as we're walking through the book of Genesis. And all of a sudden, now we come to chapter 16, and it's all, the whole chapter is about an Egyptian slave woman. <laughs> an Egyptian slave woman, not some big patriarch, not, not some person of great faith, but an Egyptian slave woman named Hagar. But what an important woman she is. Our world today is still affected by what we read on the pages of Genesis chapter 16. You can explain a lot of what's happening in our world right back here in Genesis chapter 16. But even more than about Hagar, we're going to learn so much, I hope you're going to learn so much this morning about God. And you're going to see God in a massive way care for this woman that really history and time would have no regard for. <laughs> this woman who is a, an Egyptian slave woman. So, this morning, I want you to follow along as we read Genesis chapter 16. We want to get the whole context of this, and then, and then we want to just dive right in. Genesis chapter 16, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram, can I just insert a describing word there? But wimpy Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, 
Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. He shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was, was called Be Lehi Roi. It lies against Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son who Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. For some of you old guys in the sanctuary, there's still hope. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, this morning we, we don't need to hear what a man has to say. We need to hear what you have to say. So what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. And what we are not, make us through Jesus Christ our Lord. We beg of you this morning. Amen. I'm going to go back to that first phrase, because that first phrase is very telling at the beginning of this chapter, verse 16. If you remember, we were on the mountaintop at the end of chapter 15, were we not? We're on the mountaintop with Abram. The, the covenant has been ratified. God has done this amazing thing where God, in, in the form of fire, walks through the middle of all those animals that, that Abram had, had sacrificed out. And, and, and basically in doing that, God had said, I am going to accomplish this, Abram. I don't even need you to walk through this with me. I'm going to do it. You're going to be the father of a great nation. You're going to have a son. This is going to be an amazing thing that I'm about to do for you. Mountaintop, right? How many of you have ever been on the mountaintop with God before? How many of you have had to come off the mountain? You say, that's where I am right now, PD, I am off the mountain. How many of you feel like you're off the mountain right now? You see, what happens is, mountaintop experiences are great, they, they, they build our faith so much, but we've got to go back to life, don't we? We've got to go back to life, we can't stay on the mountain. Remember, remember when the disciples were there and the Lord was transfigured and Peter says, hey, this is awesome. Let's just build some tabernacles up here and we'll just stay up here. Great idea, Peter, except for the fact that we got life to live. Abram has life to live. And Moses, when he writes this history, that very first phrase, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. We have the promise of God in chapter 15, and we have the reality in, in chapter 16. How many of you have run into this before, where you have the promise of God, things like, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, my ways aren't your ways, I'm doing things that you can't believe. All these things that we read in Scripture, that when other people are going through hard times, we are really ready to quote to them, right? Until we're in the middle of it, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, this is for me too? And here's the reality. God's made a promise, but guess what? Sarah ain't having children, is she? And that first phrase right there sets the tone for this whole chapter. 
here's the thing. Abram and Sarai, you want to talk about the clock ticking. Her clock is ticking. And, and as she's getting older, there is no doubt in my mind, many of you in this room, and it's a painful thing to even consider for some of you, have gone through this fertility issue thing. I mean, you wouldn't know it by looking at our church nursery, okay? But some of, some of you have wrestled with this. And when a couple is going through infertility and they're wrestling with, we just want to have a baby, we just want to have a baby, we just want to have a baby, it creates tension between a husband and wife, does it not? A serious tension. And no doubt, it's causing problems in their marriage. Imagine this, Abram thinking to himself, maybe one night he steps outside his tent and he's looking up at the stars, looking down at the sand, and he's thinking to himself, okay, God, I know you promised, but, but the woman you gave me, man, she, she's broken. It's not happening here, God. It's not happening. And maybe there's a little tension between the two of them. Are you pregnant? No, I'm not pregnant. What do I have to do? And what happens is, in light of the promise of God, there's still this human reality that, that, that things aren't happening according to God's plan, and so we take it out on each other. And here's what happens. Our relationship issues can have lingering and just terrible, devastating effects on others around us. Have you figured that out, husband and wife? Your relationship issues aren't just between you and you alone. I mean, how many times have you been in the, or in the bedroom having a, a little conversation only to come out and find like sets of ears like right there? Our relationship issues don't just stay between us. And what we're going to see here is that Abram and Sarah's marriage issues are affecting others around them. They don't have children, but they have servants. They have plenty of them, and it's going to affect them. And so this morning, I want us to look at this text through the eyes of this Egyptian servant woman named Hagar. Most likely, we saw this back in chapter 12, that Hagar came under Abram's care, and, and Abram gave, him, gave him, her over to Sarah way back in chapter 12, when, whenever they went to Egypt, remember? <laughs> whenever he fled to Egypt, and, and he didn't act in faith there, and he said, okay, Sarah, you, you, tell, you tell Pharaoh that you're my sister, because technically you are. We'll just leave out the part about you being my wife. That way he won't kill me, and we'll get out of Egypt just fine, right? God blessed him when he didn't deserve it, and gave him all this wealth. And one of the things that he got was probably this servant girl. The first thing I want us to see about Hagar is something that you and I have to wrestle with in life. And that is this, that sometimes we have to deal with unexpected and uninvited trial. Sometimes we have to deal with unexpected and uninvited trial. Now, there are many times that our tests and our trials are the products of our own stupidity, right? They're products of our own poor choices, our sinful behavior, our disobedience. We get those consequences, and, and if we're honest with ourselves and with God, we would say, I have justly deserved these, right? I, I did the crime, now I have to pay the time, right? But this case is a little different. In this case... Hagar is just going through life. She's got her head down. She's just being a servant. She's just being a servant. She's just doing what she's called to do. 
And, and yet, in spite of doing what she's called to do, her, her life is going to get turned completely upside down. In our, in our minds, just think with me, don't, don't put on your Sunday morning brain where it's super sanctified and you're more, more holy than the person in the row in front of you, okay? Stop that thinking right now, okay? Think like you would think on a Monday morning. That's a scary thought, isn't it? In our minds, when we read this, does this seem fair that Hagar's going to have to go through all this? Come on, church, does it seem fair? It's unjust. Would we call this unjust? She is being affected by the sin of Sarah and Abram. And let's just understand something right out here in front as we, get, as we start this. You and I are not exempt from suffering from other people's sinful behavior. God in his sovereign wisdom uses that in our lives. You say, how do you know it's sinful behavior? Well, let's look at verse 2. So Sarah says to Abram, behold, now the Lord has prevented me. Who is she blaming there, church? Yeah, this, is, this is a charge. God's keeping me from having children. He's prevented me from doing this. He, he, for whatever reason... He's not letting me have children here. So she says, go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. Now, we need to understand, this isn't just written in a vacuum. In, in, in our society today, that would just be kind of weird, right? But in this culture, this was common. In Mesopotamia, where they came from, this was a standard practice. If you can't conceive and, you, and you've got a servant girl, guess what? Guess what? You're going to take one for the team. Get in there. You're going to have children with my husband. And so that's what we got going on here. It's a common practice. But I want you to see deeper than just the, the, just the physical relationship and part of this. I want you to see what's going on here. What's going on here is that now Sarah's suggestion is a source of temptation for her husband. Sarah has put her husband right in the line of fire. Now, Abram's going to do his best to blame Sarah in this too. But, but does Abram have a mind that can trust God and that can reason through this? Yes, he does. Abram no doubt knows that what Moses wrote, even though Moses hadn't written it yet, written it yet he knows what, what God instituted at the very first marriage in Genesis chapter 2. Two will become one flesh, right? He knows that. He understands that. And culturally it's okay, but in the eyes of God, this is not okay. So again, we see Abram's faith being tested and again, we're going to find Abram didn't pass the test, did he? He didn't pass the test. Abram follows Sarah's plan and it backfires. I don't know if Solomon had this in mind, but, but I came across this as I was reading this week in Proverbs chapter 30, and I'm like, oh, this is gold. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 21 says this, under three things the earth trembles, under four it cannot bear up. Okay, there are four things that the earth cannot handle. Number one, a slave when he becomes king. 
Now think about it. A slave who's been mistreated all his life becomes king. Would you want to live under that king? No. A fool when he is filled with food. Thirdly, an unloved woman when she gets a husband. And fourthly, a maidservant when she displaces her mistress. I don't know if Solomon had this in mind, but this is exactly what's happening here. Hagar has displaced Sarai. She has accomplished something that Sarai could not do. Hagar becomes pregnant, and and the the word records for us here that she treats, in verse 4, or that she looks upon Sarah with contempt, okay? And then let's just be clear here. Hagar did not invite this trouble, but she became a pot stirrer real quick, didn't she? She became a pot stirrer. She's like, yep, I, I took care of business here that, that you couldn't take care of, and guess what? Apparently, apparently, you're not all that that you think you are. And Sarai is a scorned woman in verse 5. And who does she blame? Who does she blame for the wrong that's been done? She blames her husband. She blames her husband, which, which is so typical when we sin, when we come up with this really good plan and it totally backfires, are we always looking for someone else to blame for that? If you'd only done it my way, if you'd only done it this you know, if you'd only this or only that, no. So Sarah blames Abram, and quite honestly, in verse 6, Abram wimps out. He totally wimps out. He should have accepted blame and responsibility. He should have dealt kindly with Hagar. Instead, instead what he does is he takes and he turns this woman over to his red-hot, angry wife. All of this trouble comes on Hagar because Abram doesn't act in faith. All of this. I I point that out, and I keep pointing that out, because because the choices that you and I make, the faith choices that we make or that we don't make, those those things that that we face in our life, every decision we make has consequences and implications for others in our path, does it not? And so because Abram doesn't act in faith, Hagar is swept up in Abram's sin, And the injustice just gets worse now. Because look, verse 6. Abram says to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. What do you think Abram is thinking at that? He knows what's going to happen to her. Abram's been on the receiving end of Sarah when she's mad, right? Look at the end of verse 6. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her. That word dealt harshly is the same word that is used in Exodus where it talks about the Egyptian taskmasters dealing with the children of Israel when they're in slavery. It's the same Hebrew word. She's ruthless with her. She's ruthless with her. Think of it this way. Bring it in modern day context. If she's going to treat her harshly, every day she's cleaning the bathroom with a toothbrush. Right? I mean, the worst task that you can think of, Hagar's getting them all, okay? And here's what she does. She runs. She runs back to Egypt. 
She, she, she leaves the situation, and at first blush, we're all like, you go, girl, get out, right? Have you ever been in hard, trying circumstances where you've been treated unjustly, and what's your first response? I'm getting out of Dodge, right? I'm leaving this. I don't deserve this. This isn't fair. Secondly, I want you to see she gets a really unpopular command from an, from an unexpected messenger. She gets a really unpopular command. Here's Hagar on the run. She's not being mistreated anymore, but yet she has really no place to go. She's on her way to Shur, which means she's headed back to Egypt, right? Now, think about this. When she gets to Egypt, what was she in Egypt before she left with Abram? She's a young girl who's only good for being a slave. So what's she going to end up being in Egypt? She's going to be a slave. This time she's going to be a runaway slave, right? She, on top of that, she's going to be a pregnant runaway slave. Is she going to be of much value in Egypt? No, not at all. Not at all. But the situation is so dire, she just runs. Verse 7, And the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. Honestly, can we fault? Anybody in this room fault Hagar for running? No. I can't fault her. But we have an unexpected messenger that shows up. The angel of the Lord. This is the first time we see this in Scripture. The angel of the Lord. We find it later on, the angel of the Lord comes and addresses Abram. He addresses Jacob. The angel of the Lord addresses Gideon. The angel of the Lord addresses Samson's mother and, and other it's in, the, in the Old Testament. And, and you're saying, well, who is this angel of the Lord? Without going into great detail and, and going to every one of those passages, let me tell you who he is. This is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. This is a Christophany. One of the things that you don't see in Scripture after Christ comes, little baby Jesus in, in Bethlehem, is you don't see the angel of the Lord show up anymore because Christ has come in the flesh. Here we have Jesus coming to Hagar. Does that surprise you at all, church? Of all the people that he could have come to and that he did come to, he came to Abram, he came to Jacob, he came to Gideon, you know, you got Abram up here, got Jacob a little bit lower, you know, he's a grandson. You got Gideon, he's a judge, he's a pretty important guy, and you got Hagar, Egyptian slave woman. The reason I can be so confident that it's a pre-incarnate Christ is, later on, she addresses him as deity. She addresses him as deity. She knows who she's talking to. She's talking to God. But what I want you to see is this. In her hour of greatest need, what does God do? He comes and finds her. Do you find some comfort in that this morning? In her hour of greatest need, God, she's not running to God. She's not crying out to the God of Abram and saying, God, help me out here. She's running from the whole situation. And what does God do? He stops and he interrupts her on her exit. I'm so glad God interrupted me as I was running from him. And as she's on the run, God comes and stops her. Jesus comes and stops her. 
And notice the way that he addresses her. Hagar, servant of Sarai. He knows her by name, but he also knows what her role is. And, and, and when he addresses her as such, he's reminding her, you have a responsibility that you're not keeping right now. You're the servant of Sarai. Where have you come from and where are you going? Those are two really good questions, aren't they? Every day you and I run across people in our lives. You know, two of the best questions you can ask them is, where have you come from and where are you headed to? I'm not talking about, you know, running up to Kroger's to pick up, you know, a bag of celery. Where, where have you come from and where are you going? Do you know where you've come from and do you know where you're headed? She says, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. And he doesn't even give her a chance to, to, to answer, where are you going? He immediately gives her a command that is really unpopular. How many of you are like me and you don't like being told what to do? Anybody else? You can't make me. You can't tell me. You're not the boss of me. Look at verse 9. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress, which would be hard enough, and then it's a twofer, and submit to her. Are you kidding me? Stop and think about this. Jesus is coming to this woman who has suffered this horrible injustice, and he stops her on the way, and he says, go right back to that situation. Have you ever heard somebody talk about God this way? Well, God would never want me to be in this hard of a situation. You ever heard anybody say that? By the authority of God's word, I can tell you God wants us to be in hard situations, church. Jesus directly comes to her and he says, go back and not just go back, go back and submit. That's not fair. It's not fair. Wait, you don't understand. And before she can get any words out, he's going to offer her some blessing. But I want us to understand this word submit. It really means to humble yourself. It means to humble yourself. In other words, go back and take it. Kind of like when you're little kids playing basketball and you're there, you know, the first time you've ever watched them play competitive sports or whatever, and they get hurt the first time and they get up and they kind of look at you. The worst mom or the worst dad is the one that's like, oh, poor baby. The best dad or mom is like, get back on the court. Rub some floor oil on it and get back on the court. Don't look at me again while you're playing. Am I right, dad's in the room? You look at me again, I'm telling the coach to yank your butt out. Hagar's got no one to look at, though. Understand this, she's got no one to turn to, and the one who comes to her brings her hard words. Go back and submit. I want to stress this again. Sometimes, many times, most times, God asks us to do really hard things. You're not the only person in this room that's been asked by God to do hard things. 
You're in a room full of people who have been asked by God to do hard things. And God is not, and, and, and this, is, this is the other thing. And this has happened to me in my office where I have had to counsel people and I have had to counsel them to go back and do something hard. And they're like, well, you're just a man. You don't understand. You don't understand what's going on in my life. You're not walking my walk. This is God who understands all the situation, right? And he says, you go back to that hard situation. You go back and you take it. Obedience is the key when we're being treated unjustly. Can I say that again? Obedience to what God commands us to do is the key to when we're being treated unjustly. And yet when we're being treated unjustly, what is our focus on? Our focus is on the one or the ones who are treating me unjustly. Our focus is in on ourselves. We think that's a get-out-of-jail card for us to be as sinful as we want to be. It's never a get-out-of-jail-free card. Just because you're being treated unjustly does not give you a get-out-of-jail-free card. You are free to sin for the next 30 days. No. You go back to do what you were called to do. Now, I know myself, if I'm there, I am ready to just give a list of reasons why this is a bad idea. Anybody else with me? You don't understand. You've not been around that woman when she loses it. I am telling you, she is like demon spawn. No, go back. Go back. And before she can offer objections, look at verse 10. She gets an unexpected blessing. She gets an unexpected blessing. Look at verse 10. The angel of the Lord also said to her, it's almost like, okay, return, submit, and by the way, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. Who does that sound like? What, have we heard that already? Who was that promise given to? That promise was given to Abram, wasn't it? She's getting the same promise. And he continues on. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and you will bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. In other words, Ishmael, the name means the God who hears. The God who hears. That promise in verse 10 was given to Abram, it was given to Isaac, it was given to Jacob. This is the only time in Scripture it's given to a woman. And it's not some great leader woman like Deborah. It's a lowly slave girl named Hagar. Hagar's, and what God is saying here is, Hagar, your descendants are going to be counted in with Abram's descendants. That promise I gave Abram, you are going to get to have a part in that too. You're going to have a son, and his name is the God who hears or God has heard. Now think about this. Every time little Ishmael runs and he scrapes his knee, and she says, Ishmael, come here. Come here, baby. In her mind, she's like, my God hears me. My God hears me. Every time she whispers that name, she's reminded that Almighty God heard and acted on her behalf. Church, we have a God who hears. I know it's tempting to think that he's not listening or that he's too busy taking care of problems on the other side of the world. We have a God who hears. 
So much so that he would go interrupt this woman in the desert on her way to run from a wicked woman who's treating her terribly. And remind her, by the way, you have a son, and I want you to name him the God who hears, the God who heard you. Now, verse 12 helps us to understand a lot of what's going on. How many of you are like me when you read stuff about what's going on in the Middle East? You're like, I can't, e- I can't even. Why do these people hate each other so much? What is going on here? Well, verse 12 helps us to understand. This guy, Ishmael, he's going to be a wild donkey of a man. In other words, you're in for a ride, woman. Wild donkeys are skittish. They're unpredictable aren't they? They're strong, though, too, aren't they? They're passionate. You ever spend any time with somebody of Middle Eastern descent? Are they strong and passionate? And I mean, they just wear it right out there, don't they? I know this is unpopular with most of you, but I've been watching a little bit of the World Cup. Anytime the nations from the Middle East score, man, it's like, it's like, I'm just telling you, it's bigger than anything that's ever, it's bigger than Ohio State, Michigan, man. Do you see Saudi Arabia beat a team they weren't supposed to beat? And the crown prince of Saudi Arabia gave everyone on his team a Rolls Royce. They are very passionate. (laughs) He did. He gave everyone on his team a Rolls Royce. Stop Googling it right now. Do it after the service. (laughs) Some of you were tempted to do it. Notice what else he says here. He's a wild donkey of a man. His hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. You want to know what's going on between Israel and Palestine and Israel and the rest of the Arab world? It's right here in verse 12. He shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. Well, guess who his kinsmen are going to be? the children of Abram that are going to come through Isaac, the Jewish people. Okay, stop and pause. Let's think, it was one bad choice by Abram, right? Come on, right? One bad choice by Abram, right? Is the world still paying for it today, church? Our decisions have great consequence even the ones that we think no one's paying attention to here. Sarah's choice is still affecting our world today. Abram's faithless decision is still bringing consequence in the world today. The things that you and I do today, tomorrow, and the next week have lasting consequence on those people in our life. But before this is all said and done, I want you to see Hagar's unbridled praise. I I want you to catch this. This is just amazing. Verses 13 and 14. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Bir Lehi Rohi. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And those Hebrew scholars in the room, I know I did not pronounce that right. I can't get the <sighs> right. Okay? Rest of you in the room, just trust me. It's really gross. It sounds terrible. 
she is the only woman in Scripture who confers a name on God. You are the God who sees. What does Ishmael mean, church? You are the God who what? And she says, you are the God who sees. You are the God who sees me. And, and notice that she recognized that, that this one who came to her, the angel of the Lord, wasn't just some messenger. This was God himself. She says, you. She's talking to the angel of the Lord. You are the God who sees. You're a God of seeing. Truly here, I have seen him who looks after me. Up until this point, on her way out from Sarah, as she's going in the desert, no one cares about me. Can you imagine the pity party that she's able to have? I bet Abram doesn't even miss me. No one came with me. No one cares about me. And now she gets into the desert, and God comes to her in her greatest hour of need. Not only does he hear me, he sees me. And church, he's the same God. Not only does he hear you when you pray, he sees everything we're going through. He sees it all. I don't know about you, but I need that. I need a God who hears me, and I need a God who sees me. I know he isn't always happy with what he sees, but I'm glad that he still looks. Aren't you? A God who sees me? And I want you to see that this just is an empty praise out in the middle of the desert because look at verse 15. She goes back and she does exactly what God tells her to do. She's a changed woman. And here's the thing. When you encounter Christ, when you really encounter Christ, you leave changed every time. Do you not? She obeys. She returns and she submits. She even obeys by naming the child Ishmael. Can you imagine the conversation that she has with Abram? Abram's thinking of all these wonderful names for his son, you know, and he's just like, oh, by the way, I've already got that taken care of. You what? Yes. Ishmael. What? Yeah, Ishmael, the God who hears. And, and if you're wondering who told me to name him that, it was God himself. Okay. Child's going to be Ishmael. Can I just make this point with us? Running from trouble is really overrated. It's desirable, isn't it? We want to run from trouble, don't we? Come on, be honest with me. How many of you like to run from trouble? We tell our kids, you get yourself in harm's way, what do we tell them to do? Get out, right? Running from trouble is overrated. It's better to obey and trust God in our bad circumstances. Let me say that again. It is far better to obey and trust God even in the middle of our bad circumstances. Now, if you're not going through a bad circumstance right now, you can easily say amen to that, can't you? But if you're going through a bad circumstance, that's a hard one to amen. Be honest, right? But I want to be clear here. The glory in this story doesn't go to Hagar. Yes, she's the victim of an injustice. She's afflicted. She is a sad tale. But the glory goes to Hagar's God who came and found her. The God who heard her, the God who saw her. The God who pursued her. The God who called her to obedience. 
the God who gave her blessing. Let's not, let's not deify Hagar in this story. But let's praise the God who accomplished what he did. He is the God who hears. He is the God who sees. And here is the question that I had to ask myself this week. Why do I turn to anyone else? <laughs> Why do I do it? We turn, to, we turn to people around us who we think hear us and see us. Have you ever had this happen, though, where you're pouring out your story to somebody and they're just kind of giving you the blank staring like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. God never is sitting in heaven when we're pouring out our story. By the way, he already knew the story. Okay? But he's not, he's not in heaven going, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. He's knowing, no, tell me, child, tell me. I'm listening. I hear you. Not only that, I see you. Why do we turn to anyone else? Question number two I had to ask myself this week is, why do we doubt why do I doubt the goodness of this God? Because in our despair, we want to return. We, even, we want to go back to our former life. You ever find yourself wanting to do that? Isn't that what Peter wanted to do? That's what Hagar's doing. I'm going to go back to the former life. It's what the children of Israel. Think about that. How stupid is that when you think about it? You know what? We're better off as slaves in Egypt. Let's go back to our former way of living here. How good is God that he keeps us from doing what we really want to do? We often run to what we see as a good retreat. But the best retreat that this earth has to offer is nothing compared to what God himself offers in himself. And it's hard. Mark it down. You see, maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, you know what, I need to just act more in faith, PD. You're right. I've just got to do it more by faith. I've just got to, just got to grab the bull by the horns and I've got to do this. But let me give you this disclaimer. When God calls you to act in faith, he's always calling you to obey him. And let's just be honest, that's going to be hard. Am I right? That's going to be hard. but you are obeying the God who sees and the God who hears. And don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget that. Father, how can we not praise you after we've been reminded that you are the God who sees, you are the God who hears? We don't have to wonder right now as we're calling upon you at the end of this service whether or not you're paying attention. You hear us right now. You see us. I thank you for sending Jesus to personally interrupt me as I was running away from you. I know there are many in this room who would thank you for that same thing. What a picture that you would come to us in the middle of the desert and keep us from making a bad situation, an unjust situation even worse. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement that it is. We thank you for being the God who sees and hears us. In Jesus' name, amen.